Hello, and welcome to today's episode of the Dead Man Walking Podcast. I am your host, Repeatedly Dead Fred, author of the medical trauma memoir, The Summer I Died 20 Times, which is actually what happened to me, and that's how I got the name, Repeatedly Dead Fred. Today, I'm with Stephen Becker, who I've probably known for a good 12, 15 years off in that range. Um, Stephen is actually my first guest that suggested a title an actual title for his podcast. So the title he suggested is The Intersection of Actuarial Science, Ultramarathons, and Counseling Therapy. So that hits the mark for a lot of uh, the things I like to cover in my foundations of this podcast. So we'll get some business and financial literacy through the actuarial, health and fitness through the marathoning and um, counseling therapy. And maybe a joke or two from this very serious looking guy. So, Stephen, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for being on. Thank you. It's a, it's a pleasure just to hang out with you, even if we have to be recorded to do it. <laughs> so where where did the title of this podcast come from? So I I've, I realized I have a lot of passions that on the surface may seem to have nothing to do with each other. Uh, yet each each of these things have uh, are I think a window into my personality and into who I am, and I, I think it's true for all of us. We 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 may have seemingly completely unrelated interests, hobbies, uh, vocations, uh, but there are snippets of of each that tell us a lot about the people. Mm-hmm. Well, having worked with some actuaries over time and knowing a little bit about the process of becoming an actuary, I could say that for a lot of people, it is quite the marathon. So I can get that direct link between the school and the grind. Ultra marathons are an extra grind. Do you want to talk a little bit about the difference between a regular and an ultra? Sure. So technically, an ultra marathon is an inch or anything more than a marathon itself. So the standard marathon, uh, which you may or may not know, what the, the distance was dates back to um, a messenger who, you know, in the day in the in Greek times before they had email and uh, and phones, they they had uh, messengers that would run with important uh, information um, from one place to another. And uh, I don't remember all the details, but basically someone ran 26 miles and then dropped dead. And that seemed to capture people's imagination as a good thing to do. Perhaps it was people suggesting to the people they don't like, hey, why don't you run 26.2 miles and see what happens? But nevertheless, mm-hmm. it's caught on as a, as a real standard. It's it's the uh, the popular choice of, distance for people that really want to challenge themselves and and uh, accomplish a, ga- a great feat in distance running. But there's always outliers in society. So there's people who say what's normally the top of the mountain, people will find another higher mountain. Um, and you see ultra marathons that are anywhere from 50K, which doesn't sound like a lot more than the 42.2 marathon, but when you've done 42.2, another 7.8 is, mm-hmm. is uh, not such an easy feat. Uh, 
but there are marathons that the longest one that I know is a 3000 mile race that's done at a track over a period of months. So, and there's a lot in between. So there's yeah. a whole host of things. And so what how many does, pairs of shoes yep. would you need to run that, uh, you know, that 3000 mile race? I don't, I, I don't know. So the, one of the good things about having races like that is that people like me who in their own way are kind of crazy. I, I prefer the 24 hour marathon. I can look mm -hmm. at them and go, well, those guys are crazy. So mm -hmm. I really have no idea because, um, you know, the difference between running a, a marathon, a 10 K and a hundred yards, it's really three different sports mm -hmm. It takes different physiological and psychological um, aspects. There's uh, aspects to it. And the same way, you know, a 50K race is a different animal than a 24-hour run um, or a six-day run or a 3,000. So I have no idea. That's crazy. I would never do that. So mm. I, I don't have an answer. So would you suggest, uh, and we're going to talk about counseling in a second, um, that the people who do marathons and ultra marathons and 24s and 3,000s, stuff like that, might have a bit of a personality issue that should be explored by a counselor. They might be slightly masochistic and lacking something. I can't speak for others. Um, a lot of the people that are into ultra marathons, there it's not something they just dabble their toes in, right? It's, it's you don't just run a few times and then and then go out and run for twenty four hours or multiple days. Uh, so I'm kind of an outlier because I have a, I have a job, I have a family, mm -hmm. I have other responsibilities and I'm not willing to revolve my life around running. So I can't speak for others. For me, um, there's something that just invigorates me when I'm challenging myself or my the opponent is myself and I'm trying to do something that I don't even know if I can do. Mm -hmm. And so that's what really drives me. Others, it's just a passion. Like, would you say someone that is a uh, accomplished pianist and they they love playing music and they could do it 10 hours a day? Do they need counseling? Mm -hmm. Possibly. <laughs> but uh, I don't know if you're if you're so destroyed. Uh, physically and mentally as you are after running maybe for 24 hours straight. Maybe I'm wrong, but it's, you know, again, slightly different animal. Yeah. I, I would say actually the feeling it, it, it's more tougher mentally, I think than physically mm -hmm. because um, you, yeah, it certainly takes a toll on you physically, but um, a lot of it is, just keeping going through persevering, not giving mm -hmm. up, you know, you run for four hours and that's a pretty good workout for most people. And then your mind starts saying, do I really want to do 20 more hours of this? Mm -hmm. Right. So it, you could, you could talk yourself out of things very easily. Inevitably you have ebbs and flows like at, a, mm -hmm. at four hours, you may feel great. And at five and a half hours, you might feel, like you don't have an ounce of energy, you feel like crap, and you like the thought of running three more minutes is mm -hmm. you know beyond your. And then two hours later, 
for no reason whatsoever, you start to feel like a, a burst of energy. So yeah, those second kind of winds get, are amazing. Yeah, they they really really are. So you have to persevere through those you know darker moments and those those ebbs and flows. Okay, so I'm looking at a picture over your right shoulder, and uh, it's a big circle. It looks like, or heading on, uh, you know, it could be a donut. Not sure, but let's That's circle what I back. Was too. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's circle back to the actuarial science. So. I know you're good with numbers. Uh, you know you're good with numbers. So maybe like a 30-second uh, description of what an actuary does or what you do as an actuary. Um, I'm going to spend 30 seconds avoiding your question by saying if you ask uh, uh, a lawyer what they do, mm -hmm. right, the range is so large, right? Criminal law versus uh, litigation versus um, family law estate mm -hmm. law ask a doctor what they do so, well they heal but a a foot doctor and a heart surgeon are two different worlds mm -hmm. so actuaries in the same way they are typically involved with insurance or pensions um mm -hmm. but the the background the real training the foundation that an actuary has allows them to um be able to do analysis with numbers which can be helpful in any number of fields mm -hmm. so you're helpful in any number of fields you actually work for a regulatory body yes or for a right and uh i forget actually do you do insurance companies or do you do banks so we uh we regulate the banks and insurance companies uh mm -hmm. i work for osfi the office of the superintendent of financial institutions mm -hmm. So I know actuaries are well-paid, maybe not as well in the government, but in private industry, actuaries are well-paid. But yet here you are, you know, in the midst of contemplating a career change. So let's tie all these things together. Let's tie the actuarial science to the ultramarathons, to the counseling therapy, which we haven't really talked about yet. And uh, let's get to the meat of the title of this podcast. What's going on here? Okay. So um, I try, um, you know, approaching my 60s. Um, well, really at the time was more in the, my mid 50s. I realized that, you know, time is, is finite. And all those things that I thought I'd get to someday, you know, some of them have been on the list for 30 years. It's, it's time mm -hmm. to get going on them. And um, I, I did a real thorough analysis of, of what I like to do, what gives me pleasure, where my strengths are, what my values are, what my priorities are. And I realized I have a passion for a couple of things, uh, ultra marathoning being one of them, which, which I've already been doing. So it's not like something I have never been addressing. Um, I have a passion for college football, which I'm doing, but um you know, it's not necessarily something that uh, I wanted to spend more time on, probably mm -hmm. need to spend less time on. And uh, I have a passion for relationships. I am a <laughs> hopeless romantic, but I'm, um, since I was a child, I've been just obsessed with understanding what relationships makes, what makes them work, what makes them not work. And um, I thought maybe I could actually help people. Can I just say how rare it is 
for me to have met an actuary who has emotional intelligence and relationship skills. You know, it tends to be the stereotype of of the the actuaries or accountants that, you know, they're so focused on digits that they're not focused on people so much. So how do you get that unique blend? Um that's a tough question. I you know, we're we're born we tend to categorize people a lot. One of the things that I resented in, in my um, school days was how you'd read a book and you'd summarize a character. And, and I think that trained us to think of people and, you know, you fit in this category. People are good or bad, or people are uh, giving or not giving or whatever it is. And the truth is people are very complex and the, Look, if you see me driving in traffic, you'd think I'm the biggest a-hole. And, and, mm-hmm. and some people, that's my own, their only experience. They've been cut off by me in traffic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and other people, I may have done nice stuff with them. They think the world of me, right? Mm-hmm. And there's people that uh, think I'm funny and other people think I'm, you know, I've got juvenile sense of humor. So mm-hmm. we're, like even ourselves, we're m- much more complex than stereotyping us into a certain um into a certain category i love the Mm. word intersectionality because each of us has a plethora of data points that make us unique so even if let's say you are um um you are black and you are uh funny and you're a muslim Not all Muslims are the same. Not all Black people are the same. Not all funny people are the same. Um, so each of us um, is unique. There's no two people that are alike. Are you frozen or are you finished? No, I'm I'm finished. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Lost my train of thought there a little bit. But but coming okay. back to your question, so I do, I do want to correct one thing. Um, mm-hmm. This is not a career change. Uh, I'm. Mm-hmm feeling uh, a little old to start all over again. Um, this is something I want to do. If if I end up doing it full-time down the road, so be it. But I don't want to have that pressure. And I want it as much as I can focus on my goal of helping people, especially mm-hmm. in relationships. So, um you know that's it. I'm not. I'm not giving up my day job. I'm not. Uh, I'm not planning on replacing actuarial science with uh, counseling. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't have any set, you know, plans. And I'm just right now. I'm trying. I'm in school. I'm towards the end of the school, uh, and I just want to build the tools, become as good a counselor as I can, and we'll see where it goes. Okay. So for anybody out there looking for uh, counseling. Um intern or uh articling student or what do you do when you uh we, we do a, we do uh we I, i'm a few weeks away from finishing my coursework and then i'll i'm just starting to look for a, an eight month practicum and okay. that is basically you know interning seeing some real clients it's not just theoretical at that point um mm-hmm. under supervision and and learning uh through through practice and through guidance 
uh, how to be a, a real a real therapist. Okay, so if anybody out there has a position that would be good for Stephen, we'll uh, give you his contact deeds at the end of the uh, at the talk, and uh, you can get a hold of him. Um, I also have to give you some bonus points. Nobody has ever used the word plethora on this <laughs> podcast before. That's uh, that's digging deep for a fancy smashy word. Thanks. I my vocabulary is all over the place. Uh, one nice thing going back to school, maybe just a little tangent here. Um, so I had not been in formal school since the late 80s. And I just went back a couple of years ago. Um, you know, I joke that, and, and the school's all online, like there's no classrooms, it's all online. When I was last in, in school and university, online is, you know, what you hung your clothes on. Like no one, mm -hmm. no kids had phones or personal computers. Um, and uh, I tutor as well. And I, I, like, I'll meet students and go like, I don't know if I could do this. I haven't been in school in 10 years. And I'm like, oh my God, I haven't been in 40 years. Mm -hmm. um, but it's really, it's really um, creates a lot of energy to be learning where a lot of people mm -hmm. at my age are kind of winding down their career and thinking about just, you know, lying on the beach. I'm ramping up. My brain is, is working as hard as ever, especially mm -hmm. doing full-time work in school. I'm surrounded by young people um, that have a different way of looking at the world, different experiences. Um, so it, it, it's a, uh, you know, it's been a wonderful experience and I encourage people to, you know, consider um, finding, if not, it doesn't have to be a new career. It could just be learning a new language or, you know, going back to school to study history or w whatever it is. Um, mm -hmm. My wife laid the, uh, laid the model down a couple of years ago when she went back to school to become a massage therapist. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was so, um, impressed and in awe of how she would work so diligently, uh, sometimes getting up three in the morning because that's when she can get work done before, uh, you know, the family demands and work demands uh, started mm -hmm. in. So I had a wonderful role, uh, role model. And, and on top of that, she's English as a second or third language, right? So even all this uh, yes. terminology, uh, you know, is an extra layer that she had to go through. Yeah. She, um, she had a background though in physical education. So at mm -hmm. least uh, a lot of the terminology she was familiar with and, and just the whole uh, background she had that was stronger than other students. I think what's more significant though, was her approach. Um, she comes from a culture that uh, doesn't understand anything but perfection. Yeah. She's mm -hmm. from Japan and as you might be aware, the, the sushi making or sword mm -hmm. making or really anything to do with Japan is done with excellence. You are not considered an expert until you've been trained for decades and been working mm -hmm. for decades compared to the North American model. Like, okay, if someone in the office has worked on something for two days more than anyone else, then they're by default, the, uh, the expert. Mm -hmm. So yeah, lay, they, giving that example of uh, perfection was uh, really, really inspiring. But mm -hmm. at heart, I am yeah. still a mediocritist. <laughs> You're hilarious. Um, so going back to the mental health aspect of going back to school, I, I think the, there's significant data 
that shows that people that are lifelong learners uh, are significantly happier in their later years and show a lot less cognitive decline uh, than people who don't do this. And I think if you go back to, you know, probably the 60s or 70s, when people retired from, you know, their factory jobs, their life ended pretty soon after. Uh, you know, I don't know if that was from boredom or, you know, what factors were in play there. But retired people live considerably longer now um, because they have more options to keep themselves occupied. Absolutely, Fred. Uh, one of the things you've seen in some workplaces is a uh, an option to reduce your work before retirement. It gives mm -hmm. folks a, a chance to test the waters and see what life would be like. Because we we all think about how much how nice it would be to not have the work pressures and have all the time in the world. But uh, a lot of people struggle when they don't have that anchor in their life. Um, I know if I won the lottery, and yes, it would help to buy a ticket, but if I won the lottery, um, I would not change anything until I figured out next steps and had some structure in place. Because I, I think to go from um, working really hard and being challenged to having nothing to get up for in the morning is 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 not good. Yeah, not one of the, the best thing that's happened to me after all this trauma is I had somebody encourage me to not only write my book, uh, you know, the summer I died 20 times available on Amazon, uh, but to start the podcast and, uh, Jen Stevens, who's my intermittent fasting guru had me on her podcast and, uh, encouraged me to start my own. And I did. And it makes a huge difference, uh, when you don't have that structure. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. By the way, you're, your repeated dying is really throwing off the actuarial tables. Generally, actuarial science works on the assumption for life insurance, anyways, that that people die once, um, <laughs> and uh, you know I think there's some talk at the Society of Actuaries of having a Fred table um, that has a completely different uh, set of uh, mortality statistics. But uh, I'll, I'll let you know <laughs> where where that is. Okay. Um Michael Toledano, who's also an actuary, um, said something similar uh, and that they look for things one in a hundred year events. And I think he said I was a one in 10,000 year event. Yeah, that um, there, there's not a lot of statistics, I think, on, on folks with you. I might be wrong, Fred, but mm -hmm. I, I imagine, you know, one of the reasons you're writing the book is your experience is not so commonplace. Um, mm -hmm. So it, it gets hard to say whether it's one in 10,000, one in 20,000. But um, so Michael's on the uh, property and casualty side. He's a friend of mine, a great, great guy. Um, mm -hmm. I call that the dark side of uh, actuarial science. But um, the whereas with life insurance or car insurance, you're basing your statistics on thousands and hundreds of thousands, even millions of events, like each mm -hmm. death is event. So you get a lot of credibility when your sample size is really large. When you're looking at insuring for hurricanes or, or storms, your sample size is much smaller. So it's a little hard to be accurate. Mm -hmm. Apologize if that's too technical. If uh, 
Did we give a uh, a mental health warning that there may be some statistical talk in this podcast? Hey, all the hate mail's coming to you, buddy. I, I'm <laughs> not a part of this. So, and uh, yeah, actuarial science. I really didn't know a lot about it uh, before I started working at Canada Life, and I ended up working with the actuaries. And uh, wow, that's a grind that you go through to to get your certification or. Is that what it's called? Yeah, certification. Yeah, your designation, yeah. your professional designation. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I was quite surprised that uh, the amount of work they had to do. Most of my actuaries were actually actuarial students overseen by, you know, one or two that actually had finished the program and survived. Um, and uh, it, it's fascinating stuff. If your kids are good at math, you should uh, have them start looking into actuarial science or data science. The math people are taking over the world. <laughs> well, the data people are. The data, yeah. like, like uh, if you, whether it's on the analysis side or building the tools that can um, house and, and analyze the data, that's, uh, that's the direction. You know, data mining is, is certainly a, uh, the direction things are are moving towards and then combine that with uh artificial in intelligence and uh mm -hmm. we're probably we're probably starting to drift off to an, a whole other podcast well, that's okay the um you know if you look at uh professional sports and online gambling for professional sports it's totally become data number driven now I mean, they look at statistics in the NFL and college football, which is, you know, another one of your passions, that there's so much based on statistics and probabilities now that uh, you're if you want to be the best in fantasy football, you're doing yourself a disservice if you don't do a little bit of learning how statistics work. It's true. However, um, there's the human element, right? And mm -hmm. uh these are still young people relatively, certainly in college football. You're talking 18 to 22-year-olds, and I, I've got a pair of 18-year-old twins. And if you expect to be able to accurately predict their behavior tomorrow based on what they've done yesterday, mm -hmm. not, not a good idea of how to place your bets. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing is the industry still – like you go to Vegas, right, and mm -hmm. you see these big hotels – that is not those hotels aren't built with you know philanthropical donations, uh, like that's the money coming from, and they continue to build because it just it's set up uh, for the house to win, not the betters. Mm -hmm. And 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 a professional gambler, from what I understand, if you're like hitting fifty eight percent or so, then then that's you're doing okay as a professional gambler. That that that's their job is to mm -hmm. study and they're only getting it right, you know, under 60% of the time. So mm -hmm. um, it, it's uh, I'm not an advocate for, for gambling as a way to make money. Mm -hmm. So, you know, 58% is actually pretty good. If you look at, you know, the top NHL goal scorers, if they score on 10% of their shots, they're probably in the top 50 of scoring. Right. You know, or Michael Jordan uh, said something along the lines like he failed, you know, 70 percent of the time. Right. And he's still the greatest of all time. So um, 
Yeah, so you're saying you would have no real edge if you went to Vegas and tried to play the... Not that they're recording this and nobody from Vegas can see this. <laughs> uh, but since we once had an actual conference in Vegas and one of the sessions was an actuary who helped, who helped one of the casinos or a few of the casinos designing games. Mm -hmm. And uh, they make it such that... I like craps just because it's very easy to do the probabilities and uh, I bet in a way where I, I win, either I win very little or I lose very little, but I could play a little longer. Um, mm -hmm. So it just gives me that little thrill, but um, the, the way they design the odds is that uh, the house for every dollar that's bet, the house might win 5%. Blackjack being the best, it might be 2%. But what's happening, like you look at a, a craps table and every mm -hmm. roll of the dice, there's thousands of dollars on the table. So mm -hmm. every roll of the dice, it's like another $20, another $20, another $20, right? Bang, 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 bang. That adds mm -hmm. up pretty quickly. You know, if, mm -hmm. if you were winning only 50% of the time, um, you'd, you'd, you'd get discouraged a lot quickly, but it's almost like a slow bleed. Uh, mm -hmm. the, the slot machines have have actually the worst, especially especially the machines that are um in the corners. They they yeah. have better odds when you're at the you know right near the walking path so that the people mm -hmm. walking can hear the ching ching ching. Mm -hmm. uh, and but even so those are the worst odds, but you're only betting a coin at a time. Mm -hmm. So it, uh, it doesn't it doesn't feel like you're losing a lot because it's kind of, but also it's a slow bleed in a different way. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that's why they make you use chips at the table as well. Right. Because oh, it yeah. doesn't there's a lot like of psychology. Yep. It doesn't hurt as much. Uh, interestingly, credit cards have a similar effect, um, mm -hmm. but we don't tend to think of that. So that's why uh, a lot of, you know, fin financial uh, uh, mentors will tell you, uh, avoid using cards use mm -hmm. cash you'll feel yeah. the pain more directly and of course the banking system uh and the retailers etc don't want us to use cash because they can't track us and get our data as well right right but that's right. come a long way uh you know there i think it was uh mastercard or visa there was some guy who kind of pushed the idea and uh, he was basically uh, back at a time where maybe everyone wasn't as measured as closely on productivity and the, the, um, the, the banks and the insurance companies maybe weren't as conscious of, of cost efficiencies. Mm -hmm. um, so he was like put in a corner, kind of, okay, let him do whatever he's doing there in the corner. And to th think that, that, you know, the leaders of banks at, at a point, in time did not think that credit cards were worthy of their attention is just uh mind blowing. I just I have to say a disclaimer as working for Austria, I'm not in any way making comments on any specific bank or you know, we're talking now about you know an attitude that was prevalent around the world um mm -hmm. a half a century ago. Well I know when Eaton's collapsed, uh our American for our American viewers and listeners it was Eaton's was kind of the Macy's of Canada. Um, you know, when they were collapsing, one of the parts of the business the family fought hardest for was their credit card business. 
because you know they could charge astronomical rates and it was still making them money even uh, as the empire was burning um right and uh yeah credit cards are a whole different animal we could have a whole discussion on uh, my love of credit cards not really and uh, <laughs> the check cashing outlets and right. the outrageous interest uh interest rates they charge but uh that would be for when i'm running for uh, like a player and i was finishing off saying my uh platform on interest rates on credit cards and check cashing places would be the platform I might run on if I was going for political office. But back to you, Steve. <laughs> yeah. So Fred, what, one of the, I did notice we were running out of time there. Uh, maybe years of taking actuarial exams taught me mm -hmm. a few uh, things like uh, watch the clock. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. By the way, uh, coming back to, to football, um, if I was younger, I would uh, be sending my resume out to every NFL team to be their actuary for clock management. It's unbelievable how some NFL coaches just don't have somebody on staff saying, hey, coach, last three minutes, you know, here's what we're <laughs> going to do with the timeouts and stuff like that. <laughs> Keep calling the plays. I'll do the timeouts. But uh, but no. It, it also amazes me um, that they still rely on like average carries and stuff like that when they really should be looking more at the standard deviations because, you know, one long run can make it look like you've got a, you know, an average run of four and a half, five, you know, yards per carry. But the reality is most of your, your carries can probably be within one to three yards. And if you're banking those plays on getting, you know, four and a half, five yards, uh, you're missing I, something. I, it's true. Although I suspect now that they're looking even beyond that. They're looking about like how much of the yardage is because the running back, uh, you know, avoided a tackle or uh, mm -hmm. as opposed to the, the offensive line, you know, was opening up a hole that, you know, my, my, my mother could, could run mm -hmm. through. Um, mm -hmm. So well, your mother I, I is pretty a, quick. You know, God bless her. She's 94 and a half and still has pretty good mobility. Um, mm -hmm. You know, she doesn't do the, uh, you know, her days of playing cornerback and, and you know, twisting her hips to, to stay with a wide receiver. Those days are in the past, but she's mm -hmm. got pretty good straight ahead speed. So thank God uh, we should all uh, we should all be in her health and in our well into our 90s. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So, okay. So, where do you see your journey going in the next year or so? You're just gonna. You, I, guess I don't know what I'm having for dinner tomorrow. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, you know what i I have a, um, a a belief system where it's uh, it's up to us to do what we can. Um, but we don't control everything. Uh, so mm -hmm. I'm, I'm learning everything I can to be a good therapist. Um, mm -hmm. Where that takes me, I don't know. Like the practice, I'm thinking I want to do relationships and couples. I might find that I have a knack and a real gift for treating children with ADHD, just picking something out of a hat. And that's mm -hmm. the direction I go uh, at work. Um, you know, I'm, I'm still 
uh, trying to do the the best I can and learn. And you know, there's opportunities that you never know. You never know what's going to come up. Like some things in our industry, like climate change, cyber risk. Mm-hmm. You know, are much more on the front page than they used to be 10 years ago. So it's really hard to say. Um, What I will say is being a good husband, uh, being there for my kids, trying to stay in shape and run, I'm going to do everything I can to to continue to do those things. But um, too difficult to make a call for, uh, um, for 12 months, much less five years from now. Do you potentially you? see? Oh, I'm just happy to be alive. Every day I wake up is a good day. Um, well, I'm, we should all have that attitude. I'm, you know, hoping that uh, my book and my podcast take off, and that I'm going to be a positive uh, or an inspiration to people that are going through whatever challenges they're going through. I don't think, you know, too many people are going to walk exactly in my shoes, um, but people have a lot of challenges these days. And if I can ease that burden, just, you know, one little bit, uh, all of, I think I'll have done something pretty impressive. Um, Mm -hmm. And if I get to a point where people are going to ask me to come speak in their organization, whether it's overcoming adversity or positive mindset, I think that that'll also be really impressive. So I guess I have to talk to my PR guy. Hey, Miles, get on it. Well, I'm I'm banking you on, on you, Fred. I my resume will look a lot better if being on the repeatedly dead Fred's uh, podcast is something that everyone recognizes. Well, you know, I'm up on Spotify now. I'm up on uh, Apple Podcasts, on Google, Amazon. So you know, I'm a worldwide sensation. If you didn't know that, yeah. Okay. I, I'm sure that some point within the next five years somebody is going to recognize me on the street and then i'll know i hit the big time so what about possibly combining a couple of your passions and having a niche in relationship counseling for actuaries and ultra marathon runners uh, so I did think of uh, doing a, and and it still might be a form of therapy uh, to do mm-hmm. running and counseling. Uh, there are mm-hmm. all kinds of alternative uh, counseling that is really designed to, to help people um, be in an environment that they're comfortable. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the standard counseling um, uh, environment is, is not what, most people necessarily find comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, so you may you, you may have seen, whether it's on TVs, movies, where, where kids are being talked to by an adult while they're playing a game. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, it's, same thing could go for an adult too, right? If people feel in their element, they feel more comfortable in themselves when they're doing yoga or art or running, then mm-hmm. it just lends itself to the goals of of counseling. Mm-hmm. Now, you brought up a memory for me. So during COVID and the social distancing, I don't remember if it was like a group therapy um, counselor or maybe it was uh, Alcoholics Anonymous or something. 
uh, and they couldn't meet in their regular spaces, they decided to have uh, walks and jogs. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, that that's pretty pretty innovative. I thought, you know, you you see a hurdle in front of you, and you say, "How do we get around this?" And yep. so. Uh, it, it could be that it could be, you know, one approach is for, let's say, take running. Okay. What challenges do you have? What obstacles? And can we draw a parallel to the the challenges in your life? Mm-hmm. And as you learn to work through running uh, challenges and obstacles, you can apply some of those learnings and attitude towards uh, uh, overcoming the obstacles in, in your life. So uh, that's one aspect to kind of parallel. Another aspect is just feeling more comfortable. So one of the, one of the things that has been the biggest learning for me in, in my coursework on therapy is unlike other professions where the expert is going to give you the answer, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, we had a plumber over uh, recently and he's trying to explain things to me and I could care less. I'm never going to mm-hmm. fix. There's no hope that this is ever going to be useful other than is it working or not? Do I need mm-hmm. to like not use it for 24? Just tell me what I absolutely need to know. Right. Mm-hmm. And I go to the doctor and yeah, I want to, I want to learn things to apply them, but you know, I'm still looking to him for the answers. Mm-hmm. A good therapist is bringing the answers out from the from the, the client. Mm-hmm. They're co-constructing what the problem is and co-constructing what the solutions are. So in order to do that, like if I if I have the answers of the therapist, sit on the couch, I'll tell you them. But that's mm-hmm. not the way it should work. It's you need to share, you need to open up, you need to be thinking. And if you're in an environment that you're more comfortable, it's going to be easier for you to recognize things, to share things, and to and to brainstorm. Mm-hmm. And I think if you were doing something like a run or a walk or getting out into the, you know, vitamin sun and uh, vitamin green, um, you know, you've got some extra endorphins that are just going to make you think a little more clearly uh, with whoever you're talking to. Yeah. Uh, so there are therapists that will have various types of chairs they'll have different uh things to occupy your hands different balls or different fidgety things um mm-hmm. heck maybe even put a treadmill in the in the office um uh you know you can be creative the 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 whole concept though is to create a safe space for sure but create an environment where people feel like they're in their element rather than the scary professional's office. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I know there's some therapists that are very old school and uh, they keep throwing the ball back at you, you know, and like, well, what do you think the problem is? Well, what do you think you should do? And they don't really help you get any clarity. And, uh, I know when I started going to therapy, that's who I had. And it was not helpful at all. So maybe there's a certain personality type that that works with. But I think more therapists are more along the line of what you suggest. Is It's a, it's a partnership. That, right. Uh, right. You're both working towards a goal. Right. 
Well, I, I mean, you you do want the answer to come ultimately from mm-hmm. the the client with the therapist's guidance. But if it was simple as okay, what do you think you should do? Mm-hmm. Um, well, if they knew the answer to that, they wouldn't need to come to you. Mm-hmm. So you need to break it down more. Okay, let's deconstruct what's going on. You you have a uh, you have a meltdown with your kids you don't want to have that meltdown you, you don't you want to be more even okay so not what you should do it's okay not have a meltdown well the, the, guess how that's gonna go but mm-hmm. let's look at a specific example what were you what what was going through your head what was happening in your day to get to that stage right because you may have been have, having a great day versus you've been yelled at by your boss your your wife is mad at you blah 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 <laughs> Those are two different situations before we even get to what the kids are doing. Breaking it down. Let's construct. What, how are you feeling physically, emotionally? Yeah. Any alternatives that went through your mind? So you, it's really, uh, I mean, they use the uh, peeling the onion as a, uh, as a common phrase that's used, but it's really kind of digging down. So yes, what should you do? But if you ask it at that level, then I don't have the answers. Why come to you? That's why I come to you, right? Mm-hmm. Actually, the first question my therapist asks me every session: "How's your mood?" And, yeah. Okay. I think and how was it? How was it during the past week? The last two weeks. Yep. Yeah, we're definitely taught to do that. I can. I just share a very quick uh, what I found amusing. Mm-hmm. Um, so. When I was a teenager, I, I was fighting with my parents. Nothing, nothing major, um, mm-hmm. but I just was frustrated. And I, uh, I had a friend who had uh, recently come out of the closet, and I know he went for some therapy. He was the only person that I knew went for therapy. So I asked him, uh, "Hey, do you think it'd be helpful to talk to a therapist, get some ideas, have a, you know, have a better relationship with my parents?" It was actually one of the more mature. For- things I've done in my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, so he said, yeah, it doesn't hurt. It could help you, you know, and, and you get a, an objective opinion. He's very positive about his experience with it. And he gave me the name as his therapist. And I walk in there and the first question he, he asked is, so how long have you been gay? <laughs> and uh, in my first reactions, I'm sure were, I'm not sure I liked the direction of this. And uh, I didn't know I was. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. um, yeah, no, no uh, I don't mean anything disparaging to, to those who have come out of the closet. And it's a very, very brave and, and difficult thing to do. But that wasn't what I was there for. And that was, a, that was a, I look at that and I'm, I, it's, a, it's a fun story, but mm-hmm. it's a horrible mistake to make as a counselor you're you're sizing someone up you're judging mm-hmm. i understand why he made that assumption given who referred me but mm-hmm. it was an oh, it was a it was a horrible mistake to make mm-hmm. so, did you end up uh actually doing any therapy with him or you moved on to someone else uh no i i uh i didn't know the way it works it's interesting now like Decades later, I'm learning how to be a therapist, and I'm remembering that. I'm like, oh my god, like that's horrible. <laughs> um, no, I, he was actually very helpful. You know, after mm-hmm. you know, I didn't, I wasn't upset about that. Um, mm-hmm. We did change the direction. We didn't talk about my coming out because that was mm-hmm. again not what I was there for. But he gave me some helpful uh, 
uh, you know, ideas that helped a, mm -hmm. a little bit. And um, I, I look at therapy as um, the way, like you treat a car, right? If you wait till there's a problem, if you only take your car to the shop when there's a problem, your car is not going to do nearly as well as if you do regular maintenance. And mm -hmm. I think having someone to talk to, sometimes it could be a friend, but what you get with a therapist is someone who's more object, you know, they're, they're, first of all, they're trained and mm -hmm. they, they're objective, right? They're not your friend. Um, they can, you know, they're not, they're not worried about calling you out on something uh, because they're doing based on evidence and based on what they're hearing. So I think it's actually a very good thing. I, I personally believe that every, every teenager could benefit from a therapist. There are so many challenges at that age that, mm -hmm. um, and it'd be good if we got over the stigma that it's people with problems that go to therapists. We can all benefit from that. I, I've had a little therapy with, with my wife. Um, we actually went because we were having some things we want to deal with our children. And it turned out the therapist shifted it to us. It's like, you get your house completely in order and then deal with the kids. And I've got the most wonderful wife and um, we have a good, great relationship, but even us can you know, get a little, you know, off course and, and therapy can be a great, uh, course adjusted much better than when you are on the verge of divorce and mm -hmm. going into uh into uh therapy well in judaism we have a concept of find yourself a rabbi and i forget which book it comes from maybe you know that um but it does it's not just for spiritual guidance it's for somebody that can give you different perspectives and and help you see a route that you wouldn't see on your own Right, right. I also know people that take that to be find a ther find a rabbi that will give you uh, permission to do something that no other rabbi will do. But I think that's a different thing. Yeah, that's a maybe podcast number five that we'll do. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. So, Stephen, uh, I think I'd like to wrap up. So, thank you very much for for being on. And of course, if you want to continue this chat, we'll find another uh, topic. And you will, uh, or you'll give me a topic and we'll bounce it around. Well, it's been a pleasure. And like I said, I enjoy hanging out with you. If I have to be recorded to do it, so be it. So, uh, well, it's not like we live across the street from each other. <laughs> so, anyway, to those of you who've tuned in, thank you very much for tuning into the Dead Man Walking podcast. Please like, subscribe, share. Um, oh, Stephen, if people want to get a hold of you for anything, how do they get a hold of you? Uh, probably the uh, easiest way would be um, to email me. Um, my email is sbeker.yv at gmail.com. That's sbeker.yv at gmail.com. And uh, as soon as I hire one of my teenagers to help me with uh, some social media, I'll try and get on some of these other uh, uh, social media platforms. Awesome. Thank you again. See you soon. Thank you, everybody. Have yourself a great week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.